0: This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. Today, you are going to get a front row seat to the memorable Springbok career of the legendary Joel Stransky. Joel, welcome to Front Row Rugby. How is it? It's uh, nice to be on the on the cast. Thanks very much for having me. Great to have you here as well. Now, before we begin the conversation, let's take a look at the trivia question. In 2017, the Springboks played France four times. How many of those tests did the box win? Now, if you know the answer to the question, you can put it in the comment section down below, and we'll also find out if Joel knows the answer to that question, but we'll do that at the end of our conversation. Joel, I'd like to begin in 1993. We're playing against the Wallabies in Sydney. It's a memorable victory over the world champions. How do you remember that night?
1: Well, I'm assuming you're talking about the first test, and it was um, it was my test debut, so uh, I, I remember the tour really well it was it was a wonderful tour it was um great to be traveling with the springboks for the first time great to to uh, be be on a proper six week seven week long tour um not not easy because it was uh, you know the sort of end of the, the beginning of the second springbok era and the end of this real provincialism so players from all provinces trying to get to know each other trying to become a part of a you know, a, a joint team with with an, an aligned goal, um, and and not always easy. You know, there was definitely a bit of provincialism, and you know the guys tended to stick with their, their teammates from their provinces. But but it was it was a it was a real learning curve. And that first test match was was fantastic. You know, we in fact the the we we could have won the second as well. We had the sending off, and the third we were really close. But the, the first one was a really special evening. Not much was expected of us. So, you know, when you're the underdog and you come through on top, it's always a a great bonus. But if there's one thing that that galvanizes and brings people together, it's hard work
0: and reward. And we certainly got the reward that night. And probably not in the second and third test matches, as you mentioned. I've had a couple of Xbox on the show who have told me about that second and third test where they felt that the Aussies knew what we were going to do. And they were probably just a little bit too street smart uh, for us. Would you go along with that? Well, I think that's the Australian
1: way, isn't it? I mean, you, you can go back in history almost every series where they've been outstanding. They've been street smart. They um, they don't always have the biggest players. They don't always have, you know, the the, the best scrum. They certainly uh, – in fact, I guess physically they're probably on the back foot a lot of the time, but they are incredibly street smart in the way they go about things. They're very clever in the way that they go about it. I, I, I'm not sure – that look we are we Africans against the Springboks, we are quite predictable i think that's the nature of, of the way we play the game we're big and physical we rely heavily on the on the scrum and the set phase the mall the physicality of the game so i don't think we come along with something new but i don't think that's what cost us the series um down in australia i think we were naive in some ways we were all inexperienced we didn't have very we didn't have players with a lot of experience um and having said that, we could have won that second test in Brisbane. You know, James was a little unlucky to be sent off for a bit of descent and uh, I think really unexpected when you think of the bad boy of world, world Rugby and, uh, and, and we miss him terribly, but if you were sitting here, see, you know, he knows that you know he, he may have let us down a bit on the day, but, but we still had opportunities. We still could have gone on and won that game. And I think even the third test, the night test back in Sydney, we, we, we had chances to win that and, and we didn't manage to, you know, really take advantage. So uh, I'm not sure that street smarts got the better of us. I think in, in many ways, when I look back, I think we, our naivety got the better of us on those two tests.
0: You mentioned that Australia was an enjoyable tour. After that, it was off to Argentina. Again, I've had a couple of Xbox on the show who have told me that Argentina was wonderful. They usually reference the meat and the pretty girls. What do you say? Well, I think um look, the the, the
1: meat there is sensational and uh and 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 the, the the girls are pretty. There's no doubt about it. Um but it was the end of a long year. It was uh I think um having lost that series in, in Australia, it was probably an opportunity at the end of the long year just to go and you know come together again and and come away with a couple of good wins. And we did, but it probably for me, it wasn't one of the, the the great tours to be on. You know, there was there was maybe um, I wouldn't say there was a lightning, It was just probably the timing was off and tired And um, it was memorable. And there were lots of you know, when I think back on some of the funny moments that happened off the field, there were some really funny moments. But but I'm not always I'm, I don't I don't look back on the rugby on, on that tour with, uh, with 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 great memories. And I know I didn't play particularly well, but just wasn't it wasn't one of those tours where you look back and you think sure but there was it was a wonderful tour there was the battle of Tucuman and the, the massive fight um, the, the the brawl the crowds it was it was like a, in its own way it was quite a difficult tour.
0: Speaking of difficulties you were actually out of the side then for about a year before you got back in how difficult was that period for you? Well it's
1: always difficult when you dropped and and uh, I, I missed the tour to New Zealand, which is what you're referring to, and that was in 1994. And that was pretty disappointing. Um, for all you know, the, the excuses, the selectors, and the coaches had given me post the tour, and to say that it was, um, you know, it was nothing to do with 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 them. It, it was it was probably the most disappointing moment in my whole life. You know, to have an opportunity to tour New Zealand and to not go on the tour was was terrible so it it was tough but you know there's only one thing you can do you knuckle down and you go back and you play your provincial and your club rugby and you you know try to prove them wrong and um you know you keep working you keep working hard and you set your goals and hopefully you come back the next year a little bit
0: stronger and a whole lot better and you were back in the side against Argentina, scoring uh, twenty-two points, I think it was, uh, in that first test uh, in Port Elizabeth. Still a Springbok record at the time. Uh, did Kitsch Christie have any conversations with you uh, during that period about being the first-choice fly-half for the World Cup?
1: No, no, not at all. And I, and I think um, I think when 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 Kitch became became the coach, I think we were all a little bit unsure of what you know what his thinking was and what his game plan was and which players. He liked, we knew that that obviously he would select predominantly from his Transvaal side who, um, he, you know, he had tremendous loyalty, loyalty to and to, you know, and they had the same loyalty to him. And and I guess when you've achieved so much with that provincial side, you have faith in those players and you tend to go back and select them. So for the rest of us, we knew it was going to be tough to get into that side, into that, that squad and become part of the, you know, the, the thought process and the thinking. But... He, he was a coach. He always kept his cards quite close to his chest. He always um, he had a clear distinction in terms of how you addressed him and dealt with him. He was always the coach. He was never one of the boys. It was um, it, it was a little bit different, and for, you know, for, I think, yes, for all of us who hadn't worked with him before, it took a little bit of getting used to. And what was your relationship like with him? So I think in the beginning it was a little cordial. Um, I remember one of the first early training sessions. I called him Kitsch and he stopped me right there and he said, I'm either coach or I'm Mr. Christie to you. <laughs> so there was a definite, there was a de- and I was just trying to ask him a question. So, like, oh God, I mean how how tough is this going to be if I've got to call him Mr. Christie. But then you also then you you sort of pick up the bits from the Gauteng players and how they they dealt with them and they all call him coach and um you start calling him coach and you, you, know, you get on with it. I mean there's no doubt as well though that you soon realize he was unbelievably rugby knowledgeable. A great thinker of the game, real deep thinker of the game, um, attention to detail, um, and and there was a lot that you you know that you grew to really respect and like about him, and and I guess even more so when you become part of his starting lineup and his his inner workings.
0: It's funny that you mentioned the coach and Mr. Christie story because Mark Andrews uh, told me a very similar thing, uh, and I'll put a link up to that interview uh, just here for you if you want to go and watch that. Um, so Joel, I know that the boys went through quite a a uh, vigorous training regime in the lead-up to the World Cup. Tell me a bit about that.
1: It, it, it was nothing vigorous. It was torture. It was just strict torture. It was uh, rugby players being um, trained and battered into submission. It was a suffering, pain and suffering. We and, and and again, you know, one evening at the wonders at the end of a long day of fitness and hard work, I, I actually said to Coach Christie, I said, um, you know, surely we should spend more time. On skill levels and game plan and strategy because that's what's going to win the world cup and he said to me no my boy the fittest team will win the world cup and um how, how right he was you know and I, th- I think it was again one of those those lessons you learn that 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 in anything whatever you do you have to have a strong foundation and in rugby the foundation is your fitness and and we were the fittest team at the at the rugby world cup when it went to extra time in the final you know we we were unfazed we actually we weren't tired yet, we were at that place where we could go again and go longer and go harder, and knew mentally that we had the ability to go longer and harder than anyone else, so he was right but um in the in the months build up, we did a lot of fitness when Ray Mort to come and and do a lot of that training of us um he he was uh, he was tough he was hard um and and I think also what it what that fitness and that training does that that going through hardship together. As much as it lays that real strong foundation that you you build everything else on top of, it brings you together and it, it certainly forms a proper team, a proper you know unity within that camp. And 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 for us, it did all of all of the above. We we became a tight knit bunch. We were no longer <clears throat> players from you know the the Lions and the Stormers and the Sharks, whatever it was. We were the, we were the Springbok squad and we were we stood together. We trained together. And we went through hell together. And as a result, we got those results together.
0: Okay, it's time for the Rugby World Cup. Uh, what is the 25th of May, 1995? We're playing Australia at Newlands. We beat them 27-18. You scored 22 of those points. How memorable was that day for you? Well, it was
1: enormous,
0: you know. So, and, and, and it
1: was enormous for a number of reasons, for, for all of us. So in the build-up to the Rugby World Cup, Kitch, Kitch Christie said to us, He said, "There's two roads you have here for Rugby World Cup. You have the high road and the low road. The low road is a tough road. If you lose to Australia, you will play a quarter final against um, a tough side. I can't remember who it was. It was. uh, It would have been England. It would have been England. England in the quarters. You would have had a, a tough semi final, and then you would have had to, you know, this huge, huge final again, almost impossible to win those games. But if you beat Australia in the opening." opening game you get the easier quarterfinal we had we got some uh, you get france rather than you know one of the one of the really tough southern hemisphere sides um and then obviously you've got to win the final but he said it's the low road and the high road And, and you know that became our goal we trained then for the next three or four months to to play against australia that day to beat australia on that day so so to come together you know at the ground or, or in the bus and head on down to Newlands for the game was just sensational. To see the this cosmopolitan crowd, this fully supportive crowd out in the streets, I think it was a Tuesday, on a Tuesday afternoon, um, you know, dressed in this springbok kit with the new South African flag, um, real unity behind a, a sports team. It was just the most sensational day. Um, and then to go out and, and play as well as we did, and I often describe it, you know, when I, if, I, if I do talks, so, you know, I describe it as saying, it's like anything else, it's about focus. If you are focused on defending the whole World Cup and you're playing against a team who are focused only on beating you, that team that are focused on one element are probably going to beat you because their focus is a real focus. It's not a broad, generic focus. And I think Australia made the mistake of, you know, not, I wouldn't say they underestimated us, but they certainly had a focus on trying to defend the World Cup where our focus was purely to beat them, and we beat them on the day. And we we played superbly. We had a you know there there moments from that game that were just in my mind sensational. And and obviously there was a try, but you know there were little moments. James Small telling me to kick the drop goal, and and then you know putting his arm around me because I'd listened to him. And you know there were like little things in the game. Peter Hendricks's try going around the great David Campisi. Little things that will live with us forever. It was a spectacular day,
0: brilliant day. And just as you mentioned that, you know, the Goosebumps return, uh, it really was a wonderful, wonderful uh, occasion. Joel, uh, when I was doing my research for this interview, I had completely forgotten that you didn't actually play in the quarterfinal against Western Samoa. Why was that?
1: So we had that battle of Butterasmus against Canada in uh, in, the, in our last pool game. And uh, I got I got whacked in the eye in, in, in that game and had some stitches above my eye and actually had a small cut on, on the eyeball, on the, just below the retina, but on the actual eye. So so I wore a patch for five or six days and uh, maybe even a whole week, actually. I, I, I had a patch and couldn't, um, couldn't even look into the light for a little while. So there's no way that I could play with one eye. Um, so I missed the game with the injury, but uh, fortunately it, it healed up quickly. And uh, the, the next week against France, we were back in action.
0: Speaking of the next week against France, those conditions in Durban, does it get any worse than that?
1: No, it can't. It was, it was, it was torrential flooding. And, uh, but, you know, then again, you look at it and I, I remember this I Dan Ratiff often chats to me about it. He, he um, I spoke to him before kickoff while we were waiting and he said to me, how come you manage to stay so calm? You know, and the thing is, in, in that environment, you must worry about what you can worry about. There's no... If something's out of your hands and uh, out of your control, it's pointless spending time stressing about it. And, and for us, that's what it was. The conditions were the same for both sides. They, they. I don't even think the French had ever played in conditions as wet as that before with so much water lying around. Um, we, we were just lucky the game went ahead. And, uh, and I think once it did go ahead, it, it, it was tough. You know, it wasn't just wet. It was windy. The kicking conditions were tough. Tough handling conditions. It didn't suit either team, um, and, and, and we snuck through. You know, we were under enormous pressure at the end. That Obensy almost crossed the line. James Small managed to stop him somehow. I'm still not sure how he didn't slide over at that point. But you know, you take your bit of luck, and you ride your luck when you can, and you you make you know you make
0: use of every little bit of advantage you can. Absolutely. So the next week, it's the Rugby World Cup final against the All Blacks. I've watched the match back quite a few times. Um, I think they only broke through a first-time tackle twice in the entire match. And it's my opinion that we actually looked quite comfortable for the full duration and that it, the fact that it went to extra time actually flatters them. Would you agree with that? Sure. So, I, so I, I've never watched the whole game
1: um, so I, I couldn't tell you how many clear breaks they were. I think um, if I think about it, those two clear breaks were probably both John Olum. Actually, one I think was down the far side, and one was near yeah, scrum up the middle somewhere. I think Mark Andrews made the tackle once, and maybe yours the other time. Uh, look, they were a great side, and and I think I think it was a proper test match, a proper World Cup final that was always going to be close. It was always going to be quite defensive. It was always going to be about, you know, creating a couple of small opportunities and managing to capitalize. And I think we, we did that, you know, they, they maybe did it. And if I think back, Andrew Mertens had a drop goal in about the 75th minute that could have won it for them. Um, And he pushed it to the right. And, uh, and, and I was, you know, the last guy trying to put pressure on him and, and when I turned to see that it was missing, it was a huge relief because I think we were, you know, a few minutes to go in a in a tight defensive game like that. It would have been quite hard to go back on the other side and, and get some points. Um, but the longer the game went on, the, the the longer we got into, the deeper we got into extra time, you know, the better we were and the more convincing we were. And, and maybe for that alone, we did deserve to win it. And also fate and destiny was on our side. You know, we had... We had the Madiba magic. We had, had Mediba's touch. We had we had a nation behind us for the first time ever. We you know we had our stars
0: were aligned. There's no doubt about that. It was very special. And speaking of special, the moment that you cemented your place in the hearts of all South Africans, talk us through that drop goal.
1: Well, it was um, you know it was twelve all. We were. We had a scrum in a good position. I think it was around about the twenty-two, just off to the right, and big blind side. And we had a couple of great blind side moves. You know, we had a couple of moves we we scored. It the one we called actually, we'd scored against Australia with. And it's um, you know when you got the likes of, Eust and Andre Joubert and James Small on the outside there. Or I think it was I think James was still on the field at that point. Um, and 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 you've got you know a guy like Wood Australia, you can pick up off the base and accelerate around the corner. You you have a massive threat, and you can stretch defences. And you know we'd stretch them and then throw in the inside pass, or we'd stretch them and then throw in the outside pass. Um, and and we 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 call the move to go to the blind side. And they'd obviously studied our, our 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 game, our moves, because as soon as um the scrum was set, the way they stood up, they lined up to defence. It was clear as day they knew what we were going to do, and they had all those bases covered. But what that does is it leaves space on the open side again. And uh, so I, I called to yes I said, cancel, you know, send the ball back this way. We've got to go this side. There's not often you, you overrule Francois Pinot's call. So we um, he looked at me a little bit surprised. And I said, "And, and you know, the, the noise and the crowd and, the, and the, the huge volume, it's quite hard to communicate. And uh, we did a lot of it by hand signal and uh, and he didn't, uh, he cancelled the move and sent the ball back and Kitch had me working on the drop goal, So um, I was hitting them sweet. So it's
0: just a matter of making sure, it, you know, it, no one charged it down. and Fortunately, no one did. And what does it feel like when the referee blows the final whistle and you're a rugby world champion? So, you know, the, the thing with that is you celebrate, but you celebrate in that
1: little tight tribe, you know, in that little circle. And I think... Um, and I mean the things I remember after the final whistle was high-fiving a you know a friend of mine in the crowd and walking around the field a bit and seeing my wife and family and um but but actually I think only in time does the enormity of the occasion actually really set in and you really understand and get a sense of of what you've actually achieved, particularly in our environment in this country where where it was so much more than just a rugby match. You know, it was a critical time for us. It was um, a period of uncertainty, and 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 it sort of was a, a an opportunity used so brilliantly by Nelson Mandela to bring a country together. And I think I think only you know as you get older and a little bit more mature, and you you get to understand a little bit more about life itself, you look back and you really understand the enormity of it. At the time, it was wonderful. We won the World Cup and we went out and celebrated. But I think as you get a little bit wiser, you realize uh, just how really special it was.
0: So Joel, the All Blacks were back in South Africa about a year later and they recorded an historic series win. I know that you didn't play in all of those test matches, but what do you think went wrong? So actually I did I played in
1: all of them. The last one I came off the bench. So I did play I actually did play in all of them. It was um so I can tell you exactly what went wrong. Some some people wouldn't like to hear what went wrong, but I can tell you exactly what went wrong. We had a new coach, Andre Marcroff. He um, he was the new broom that uh, Try to do things very differently that that broke the broke up the unity and broke up the team. It was the advent of professionalism. We we were um being paid and and there was drama around the you know the boardroom stuff. It was uh, it was a period of 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 evolving rugby, particularly in our country, that um that that came with its dramas and it came with its problems. And most importantly it came with a coach who um you cocked it up, to be quite frank. I don't think you did a great job. And uh, if you were sitting here right now, I'd say it. I don't think you're too fond of me. But, um, I mean, that's my view. And um, I think, um, I think you know, history shows. Maybe the res- results show for themselves, you know. So we didn't play particularly well. We played against an, an all-black team that was unbelievably motivated and inspired and wanted to, you know, do right the wrongs of the World Cup the year that wanted to be the first team to win a series on these shores. And if you think about it what a really great side they were, how good they were, and the fact that we had you know so many internal issues um, it's not surprising we, we we came unstuck a little bit but it is it is right up there with with you know those elements of those great elements of disappointment you know to lose to be part of the first team to lose a home series is uh, is disappointing and uh, you know it was a tough time it was i think it was a tough time for in the evolution of South African
0: rugby and the involvement into fully professionalism. So, Joel, you were mentioning there your opinion on Andre markroff What was your relationship like with him? Uh, it wasn't good. Um, for, yeah, it, it wasn't
1: good. And, uh, you know, there were some things that, I guess, tested it, I think. Um, but I wouldn't want to delve into the bad side of that. It, it, it wasn't good. Love said
0: understood uh how disappointing was it then for you that your springbok career ended at that moment so i think I th- it, it was disappointing you know it was and i mean he made I mean,
1: it became abundantly clear that i didn't fit into his plans whether it was for what uh you know for having an opinion or as a player whatever it was it didn't really matter it, uh it um i i didn't i didn't finish his plans and there wasn't probably mutual respect which meant he probably couldn't pick me to be found because he didn't like or respect me, and he knew I had no time or respect for him. So, I, I, I guess it made sense then to look for greener pastures and or to move on and set new goals. So, so I had an opportunity to go play in the UK, and I grabbed it with both hands and headed over to to play for the Leicester Tigers and to uh, to play the game I, I love. I loved playing. It was still is one of my great passions, the game of rugby union. Um, to go and you know play in the UK was a great experience. It was, it was great for us as a young family, um, and, and at, at the time, if you if you know you're not going to be part of the tests up, then you you know you go look for a new challenge, and it was a great new challenge and and wonderful and wonderful to go play for the Leicester Tigers. I must tell you, it's of, of all the clubs i played for, um, that is the one real city which is a rugby playing city with a rugby culture, with a rugby way of life. And uh, it was a real privilege to be part of that culture for four years.
0: I must tell you, I've got a friend uh, who I've worked with in the past who is from that part of the world, and he always speaks very fondly of you uh, whenever him and I are discussing rugby and uh, the history and all that sort of stuff. Because
1: because my time at Leicester was so special, you know, and uh, I, I, I made great friends, I played with some great players, we achieved some great things. Um it was it was and, and I guess also the other side of that is when you've been through a year of of off the field turmoil and ev- evolution and part of a players committee and setting up, you know, rugby politics and then you know the, the play on the field and the losing and the and and all those dramas to go there and to have nothing else to do but play the game you love playing with none of the sideshows. It was spectacular.
0: It was a great time for us. Joel, a question that my viewers love me to ask our guests, who was your toughest opponent?
1: Um sure. So when I was young growing up and as a youngster, you know, Nasporte was my hero and my and my toughest opponent to play against him and um was was always a, a great a great privilege and a great challenge. But I think when you grow up, you also realize that um your opposite number is not always your number one opponent. You know, there's other guys around who who especially as a as a flyoff, you you don't defend against you know your opposite number. You defend normally against the number 12 on the other team. So so you you end up making tackles on on, on big heavy number twelves and and guys who carry the ball. So if you, if you think about that all black side, I think it was Walter Little. and Timmy Horan and that Australian team was just sensational. But the guy who was always for me really tough to play against, just because he was so damn big. And so damn skillful was Zinzan Brook. You know, he came with pace. He, we used to call him the baby rhinoceros because he had such a such a huge head and uh, so came with so much pace. Um, and then he kicked a drop goal in a
0: World Cup from 40 metres out. I mean, he's, he's a proper player across the board. I remember that moment as well. Uh, Joel, um, you mentioned earlier about funny moments on the tour. Is there one that you can share with us? So probably in that World Cup, there were... There were a couple, and 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 maybe maybe the the one
1: that uh, is most amusing is 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 that we you know we I think we played on the Tuesday night, Tuesday afternoon we played Australia I think on the Friday we played Romania in in a, in our second pool game I think that the, the I think it was Tuesday Friday and and um, Rudolf Strowley's wife had given birth to their first child at some point during the week before the Australian game and Rudolf and and Kitsch had asked us to please not go out and celebrate. On the Tuesday night after the game, he said, We've got another game on Friday. Can we please stay in and, and stay calm and make sure we're ready for Friday? But Friday night after that game, we went out and we celebrated. And I think we ended up down in the, in the waterfront in the harbor area. And it uh, got quite late. And I think some of those fishing boats were coming back already. And Rudolph Stroudy popped down to one of the boats and went and bought a snook that must have been like one and a half meters long, one of these real um, rugged-looking you know, game fish, beautiful eating and not the prettiest thing. They took it back to the hotel and we hid it in my in my um, my roommate's bed, Mark Andrews. We hid it in his bed and wrapped it up in the duvet and came back about 20 minutes later and climbed into bed with this fish. Oh, it was horrendous. He jumped out. Made, he probably made the biggest tackle of his whole career when he smashed me in my bed. But uh, that fish lived with us in in the hotel for about three days. We all had to contribute to about 10 sets of laundry to have all the laundry replaced. But it was, um, it was, it was, it was great while the fish was getting passed around and good fun at the time. And what are you up to these days? I have a share in a business. We have, uh, we've just sold a couple of our businesses, but we still have seven businesses in our stable, mainly in and around the tech space, a couple of others. Keeps us busy, keeps us working. I live, uh, I live in Salt Rock, um, I'm working from my home office today. As I sit here, if I look out over my laptop, I look out to sea. It's a beautiful day. Um, travel up to Joburg most weeks.
0: Life is pretty good. Life is pretty good for me. That's great. Joel, we're going to take a look at that trivia question again quickly from earlier. In 2017, the Springboks played France four times. How many of those tests did the box win? Do you know the answer, Joel? I don't know the answer, but I'm trying to work it out. I think...
1: think so. So, 2017 was before our resurgence. So it was. Uh, it would have been a weak moment. I think we won only one. I tell you what, we actually won all four of them. Uh, there, there was a fear. Yeah. I, I, I let. I let the fact that we were poor in 2017, 2018 cloud my judgment, but I c- couldn't remember us losing i just thought we were so bad at the time we must have lost a few
0: yeah we actually beat them three nil at home in south africa before the rugby championship and then we beat them narrowly in paris at the end of the year we
1: uh, did right
0: yeah uh, joel let me say thank you very very much for being available today it was an absolute pleasure having you on front row rugby and i hope that we can have you on again in the future peter it was, it was lovely chatting man and uh if you want me on in the future i'm free young and available Last time on Front Row Rugby, 2007 Rugby World Cup winner Andre Pretorius was my guest. You can go and have a look at that video. It's appearing on your screen right now. Next time, we'll have 1992 Springbok coach John Williams with us. This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. If you enjoyed this content, please consider subscribing and sharing with your friends. See you next time.